Jacob, thank you for giving Will a Sunday off. Zach, thank you for bringing your gifts to this service, man, dude. That harmonica was, was on point. I could have listened to that all afternoon, I think. Go ahead, baby. <laughs> that was good. I'm so grateful. Um, hey, we're all grateful. We were going to land that series today, talking about gratitude. How did you like that little segue? Um, we've talked for a couple weeks about being grateful. We talked about the fact that gratitude is a spiritual discipline and that you practice gratitude in order to shape your heart to face life and to live from that gratitude. And then last week, we talked about the fact that even... They were even expected to have joy and contentment and gratitude even in the face of things that is independent from our circumstances. It's way too easy to say, oh, my circumstances are bad. I have no reason to be happy. And that's because happiness is circumstantial. But joy and gratitude comes from our identity in Christ and our foundation in Christ because of what he's done for us regardless of circumstances. And today we're going to talk about how do we live from gratitude in our life? How do we express gratitude for what God's done for us in the way that we live and the importance of that? So we're going to look at Luke chapter 17. And we're going to read verses 11 through 19, and then we'll kind of walk through this story. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him, keeping their distance. They called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, Were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to was none of let me try that again. Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this one foreigner? Then he said to him, Get up, go on your way, your faith has made you well. All right, so we have a great story here. We have a story of another miracle of Jesus, and we have these recipients. These lepers, and of course leprosy is a famous Bible disease. If you spend any time around the scripture, it was common, but there's all kinds of variations of that. It was basically a contagious skin situation that you were not allowed to even live in the city. In fact, you were basically an outcast once you had it. You were spiritually unclean, and of course, if it was contagious, then you couldn't be around the rest of your village. And so you basically were set outside of the city to die of the disease because they had no cure for it. That's a tough way to exist, right? And so this story, Jesus is on his way back to Jerusalem to face his crucifixion and his death and his resurrection. And so he's somewhere, it says, this passage says, somewhere between Samaria and Galilee. So somewhere in the middle. We're not in Judea and we're not in Samaria. We're just like somewhere right out there. And here he's entering this city and here are these 10 men with this disease in verse 11. And they, they cry out to him and says, have mercy on us. Probably what they're asking for is support, alms, like, like begging, right? Because it doesn't say, hey, heal us, Jesus. It just says, have mercy on us. So their expectation is now somebody can buy you some food because you're outside the city, you're outside of everything. You're cut off. You have no resources. You're dependent on the generosity of others. So they're saying, hey, help. And then verse 14 through 19, 
Jesus answers them. And this is, this is so fascinating because if we read through this story, and maybe you've, you're familiar with this story, and you just go, oh, he healed some lepers. But there's some little nuances to the way this plays out that I want to point out. When he saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Now, they said, have mercy on us. And it tells us they kept their distance. So they knew the rules. They knew they were supposed to stay away from him. And they say, have mercy on us. And he says, he doesn't go, you're healed. He doesn't pronounce them clean. He doesn't physically heal them there. Did you, ever, did you notice that? He says, go show yourselves to the priests. Now, I just asked for help to eat, like money and financial support to live. And he goes, go show yourselves to the priests. It's a non sequitur kind of answer to the request. It's not money. And it's not even apparent healing yet. You know, a lot of times when Jesus does a miracle and people are healed, they're like, the guy can get up and walk and he's dancing because he can walk. These folks are like, go show ourselves to the priests. Okay, they do. They start walking. It says, as they were going is when they were made clean. So picture this. But the reason he says, go show yourself to the priests is if the leprosy ever healed itself on its own, like your skin became clear, then you could go back into town, show that you don't have the disease anymore, and be reinserted into society. So he doesn't pronounce healing over them. He says, go show yourselves as if they are. And so he's following Leviticus 14. Hey, go show, do the ritual that says that you are cleansed, and they'll let you back into society, but they weren't healed yet. So there was a measure of, like, there had to be a little bit of, okay, what? Why would I go show them that I'm still not clean and have to be right back out here? How are you helping us? At least that's the way I read the story. It's like, what? So as they're going into town to do this, it says that is when they were healed. As they're going into the town. Well, now I would be happy. Like you look down and first of all, how would you not notice that all of a sudden whatever the skin condition is, is gone? But the verses tell us that one of them Notice that he was clean, right? In verse 4, let's see, verse 14. Verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. So one of the ten goes, dude. <laughs> Maybe he didn't say dude, but you get the idea, right? I'm well. And he starts shouting praises to God. And he turns back and goes back out of the city to Jesus to express his gratitude and his thanksgiving to the one who's healed him. Now, what's really interesting is Jesus says, go show yourselves to the priests, right? Which temple? They're somewhere between Samaria and Galilee. We don't know. So they're headed in one direction or another. And this guy goes, wait, wait, wait. I'm healed. He gives credit to Jesus. He goes back to him shouting, probably... Imagine if you've been living your whole life outside of a town because of a skin condition and it was healed. That's not a mild celebration in verse 15, right? His status in society has been reapproved. His access to the temple will be reapproved. He can live. He can make a living. He can be in family. He, this changes his whole world. And he rightly attributes this healing to Jesus. And I'm sure all the way back through town out to meet Jesus, he was like, I'm healed because of God. Praise God. Because that's how it's phrased. He says he praises God for that. And when he gets to Jesus, he falls on his feet in front of him. 
So he takes action out of gratitude for what Jesus has done for him. And so when it says he prostrates himself in front of Jesus, he's not just saying thank you to Jesus. He's literally worshiping him and showing submission to Jesus' authority. This is next level gratitude. This is not like, thank you very much. Hey, I can touch a person. It is sprawled out in gratitude for all that has changed because he's healed. And Jesus rightly points out to the story, probably to his disciples, where's the rest of the group? So only one of the ten noticed that their skin condition was good. Only one of the ten decided, maybe I should go back and thank this guy. And then he says, then Luke, as he's telling the story, gives us a really interesting little tidbit. If you're a Jewish person reading Luke's gospel and you hear this, he says, one of them saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He presented himself to Jesus, not to the temple people, but he presented himself to Jesus, prostrated himself at his feet and thanked him. And then Luke throws in this little last sentence, and he was a Samaritan. So up until this point, you're like, okay, these people are going to go to the temple priest in Jerusalem and get declared clean, return to society. The one that said thank you isn't Jewish. He's a foreigner. He's a Samaritan. The one that rightly identifies Jesus as God, who worships Jesus for what he's done, is not Jewish. Now, if they went, if, if we don't know how many of them were Samaritans and how many of them were Jews because the Scripture doesn't tell us. But the implication is that the other nine might have been Jewish and went to the temple to get their their status changed. Hey, look at me. I'm clean now. Only one took action based on what he'd been given by God. Only one rightly identifies the source of his healing and doesn't go to a temple, but goes back to Jesus. Verse 17 and 18. I think that's where I'm at. Yes. Jesus asked, were not ten made clean, but the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to, found to return and give praise to God except this? Now, here's what's interesting. Jesus says, except this foreigner. Okay? So Jesus recognizes him as a Samaritan. If you don't know the difference between Samaritan and Jews, Samaritans are not purely Jewish. They're like this mixed group with Gentile and Jew heritage. They have a whole other temple that they worship in that's not in Jerusalem, which is why this whole vague location thing in the story is so important. Some might have gone to Jerusalem. Some might have been going to the, to the Samaritan temple. We don't know. But the Samaritan comes back and identifies Jesus, the right source, not the temples, not their religion, not their religion, but God is the reason for gratitude. And he doesn't just go receive the, this and just go on with his life. He expresses gratitude through his actions. This idea of returning and expressing the praise, this idea of worship for Jesus because of what God, Jesus has done for him is what we're talking about when we talk about living from gratitude. Hey, God's given me lots of cool stuff. God's forgiven me. Now I'm going to go live the life I want to live is the other nine. Are you with me? Look at the cool stuff God's done in my life. Great, now I can do what I want is the other nine. This foreigner realizes what God has done and expresses his gratitude with ridiculous action. Praising God in the city on the way back out, worshiping and submitting to Christ's authority when he gets back to him. And then the story doesn't even tell us what happens to him after that. Except that Jesus says at the very end of the passage, 
Your faith has made you well. And there's a nuance there. We'll get to that in a second. So Jesus says, anybody else besides this foreigner? And it's almost like a derisive term, like this foreigner came back, which kind of implies the rest would have been good Jews who didn't do what they should have done. We don't know. And what's interesting is that word for foreigner in that New Testament text doesn't appear anywhere else in the New Testament. It's a Greek word that's not found anywhere else. Except where we do know it's found is on, it was on the wall outside the temple in Jerusalem warning Gentiles not to enter the temple. So this term for foreigner here is you're excluded from worshiping God. Jesus is categorizing the one guy who is worshiping him as the one, as the one who is rightly worshiping God. Which if he went, but if he went to the temple, he would have been excluded because of who he is. Now let that sink in for a minute. Jesus calls him foreigner. Everybody listening would have said, he's not allowed to worship God in the temple. Not because of his skin condition, but because of who he is. And he's the one that gets worship right. He's the one that lives out of gratitude for what God's done. He is the one who is spiritually aware enough to realize he was healed. The other guys are like, sweet. If they, when they finally did realize it, they went on to the temple and never showed appreciation. And he rightly credits the source of the gift. That very last verse, verse 19, I mentioned that that might mean something. Let's, let's look at that. Was no one else, this is verse 18, was not, none of them, that one verse is giving me trouble, was none of them found to be, to turn and give praise to God except this foreigner. Then he said to him, get up and go away, go on your way, excuse me, that would have been awkward, go on your way, your faith has made you well. Now wait a minute, or if you're tracking the story, isn't he already well? Like he's already been cleansed. He was cleansed on the way into the city. So what does Jesus mean when he says, now your faith has made you well? The implication here is, this is, a deeper, this is deeper than just, oh, your skin disease is gone. This is spiritual wellness, being entrusted to the foreigner. Because you are rightly worshiping, because you are rightly living out of gratitude for what God's done for you, your faith in him, in Jesus, has made him well spiritually too. I mean, he's worshiping God where he would not normally be able to do that in Jerusalem. He'd have to go to the Samaritan temple or something. But Jesus tells this foreigner, derisive term, you've done it right. Your faith has cleansed you on the inside because you understand, because you're aware of your need for this, because you're aware of what God has really done for you and truly done for you, and you've expressed that with the way that you live, your faith has made you well. You see, we could just be, hey, I've got it really good. We could be thankful. And we could go on about our life, which just makes us the nine. And what this story is calling us to do is to recognize all that God has done for us. Not just food on the table, not just family, not just livelihood, not just the things we listed on our top six list last week or whatever, or whatever you might be thinking of or ready to answer at the Thanksgiving table on Thursday when they ask the question, what are you thankful for? 
I win on Saturday, you know, like whatever you come up with. Those are all good. What this foreigner realized is that he owed absolutely everything to Jesus. And he expressed that by praising God for it. And he expressed that by submitting himself to Christ and by worshiping God with his heart, mind, soul, and literally body. I mean, prostrate would be like belly flop on the ground in front of him, right? And that's what made him well. So here's what I want to do. I kind of warned you. If you're new, it's okay. But I've been giving you guys a heads up for a couple of weeks now. We're going to spend a few minutes expressing together what we have gratitude in our hearts for. We're going to be this foreigner, <laughs> right? Because when he finds himself clean, he expresses his praise and thanks and glory to God for what God's done for him. And so we're going to take just a few minutes. I'm going to come down where I can kind of like be on y'all's level or whatever. But you'll have an opportunity. You can, I'm gonna, it's wide open. If you have a story where God's done something profound in your life and you want to share the like, Elevator version of that, okay? This is not licensed for your own 10-minute sermon. I'm just kidding. If you, but if you have a story that's significant, that God's done something in your life and you want to share it with us, great. If you're one of these people that's like, okay, he's asked me to speak in public, I'm already panicking. That's okay, too. One, we're not going to force you. But two, if you want to do, I'm just thankful for this. That's okay, too. All right? But my, what I'm doing here is I am challenging you to practice everything we've been talking about for the last few weeks to reflect on what God's done for you, and to express that gratitude with your mouth in front of others, put it into action like the foreigner. So I'm going to pray, and then I'll come down, and we'll have a little conversation among ourselves. Cool. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this scripture and this reminder of how much you've done for us. Help us to let that be our energy, our drive, our reason for living, for orienting our life, Help us to live from gratitude. Help us to practice gratitude. And help us to show the world what we have to be thankful for. Most of all, you. In Christ's name, amen. All right, we're going to practice some gratitude this morning. So I didn't pre-select anybody. Nobody's been screened. But I warned you last week. I even made you come up with six things you're thankful for during the sermon just to get you homework ahead of homework. All right. So I'm just going to throw it to the floor. No more, no further explanation from Charlie. What are you grateful for? What has God done that you need to testify to? There is a thread running through this. I don't know if you see it, but almost all of these have to do with other people in our life. You notice that? That's not an accident either. I mean, the story we talked about about Jesus happened to go into that town when he did to free those ten men from their life that they had into a whole new life. It's, it's, God has set it up that way. Most of the, God will do miraculous things. God does do miraculous things. People happen to be staying with us. is somewhat of a miracle, right? But God normally works through normal circumstances. And when I say that, I mean us. He's created his church for a reason, and that is to be him in the flesh in front of others. So part of this reason for living a life of praise and gratitude and what God's done for us is so other people can encounter and experience God's love too. And God set it up that way on purpose. I performed a wedding yesterday, and, and Paul, the Apostle Paul, when he's talking about marriage and he's talking about weddings, he literally gets it twisted in his head whether he's talking about our relationship with God or about marriage. 
He gets it that tied up in his head. He's like, God gave us marriage to understand our love for God. But this great mystery I'm talking about, I'm not sure which one I'm talking about here. That's a paraphrase, of course, right? In other words, God created us for relationship with each other, and those relationships are meant to help us understand God's love for us. Whether it's a marriage relationship and understanding, understanding sacrificial love in practice, or whether it's the stories we're talking about where we're demonstrating God's love to others in moments when they need us to be there with them. And it can be, it can be last-minute heroics like motorcycle crashes. It can be the simplest, smallest little thing you don't know what conversation, what words will grant people peace. I've been pastoring long enough to know people throw conversations back at me, and I didn't even know they heard that conversation or how it impacted them. I know you can relate, relate to that, right, Giles? Like, we say things, and it's like, I said that? <laughs> when people come to us, you know, we don't remember the conversation, but it changes the direction of their life. And that's not just because I'm a pastor. It can happen with and through you as well. It's, I think I said this a while back when we were talking about church. It's one of the reasons coming to church is so important is because you're bringing yourself to everybody else. It has nothing to do necessarily with what you're getting from church. It's what you bring to church that matters. I'm going to pray for us, and let the, we'll let you guys come do your last song to close us out. And then uh, I have some announcements. Let's do that. God, thank you for this time. It's encouraging to my heart and encouraging to my spirit to hear the stories, to hear the interactions of us with each other, with people who have meant things in our life, who changed our life because of who we walk with and who, we're, who we are around all the time. But like the, strain, but like the foreigner, we give praise where praise is due. We lay at your feet this morning, Jesus, and we praise you for what you have done for us. Help us to live from that gratitude. In Christ's name. Amen.